Welcome to this podcast of Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, founder of Climate One. Climate One brings together thought leaders from around the world to advance solutions to global warming. The Commonwealth Club is a nonprofit, nonpartisan forum open to the public. Join us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Good evening and welcome to tonight's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. Find us on the internet at CommonwealthClub.org. I am Betsy Rosenberg. I am a green media pioneer. I do have the uh, scars in my back to prove it. been talking trash and uh, all things green for about 12 years since last century, since long before it was popular. But the good news is uh, green is here to stay. It's not just a fad. As I say, if it is, we too, we humans, will be merely passing. And that's not an option, right? So what we have is a huge opportunity before us to create a new green economy, a new green future. And the people who are up on this podium are the very embodiment of that future. We are here to learn about the experiences of the winners of the 2008 Clean Tech Open. The winner for air, water, and waste, first to my left, is Jennifer Billick. And she is um, a winner in the diaper category. (laughs) Going to go through and introduce each one and then ask each of them to take two or three minutes to talk about what inspired them to come up with their projects. For energy efficiency, our spokesperson is Twin Vo down at the other end. In the green building category, the representative is Paul Burns. And for renewables, the winner is Tabor Smith. And Yes, Alan Bronstein in for Tabor Smith. We had a few changes at the last minute that didn't quite make it to print. But that's okay. I'm used to live radio. Things change all the time. By the way, my new venture is on the Internet. I've joined the digital age because radio's gotten too expensive. These days you have to pay to have a radio program on, on something as marginal as the environment. So it's called On the Green Front, and it's on voiceamerica.com, just in case I forget to say that later. Back to our panel. For Smart Power, we'll hear from D.K. Foster. Howdy. And in the transportation category, the winner is Fraser Smith. For more information about the Clean Tech Open and the winners' companies, we'll uh, be advising you to look at your handouts. Hopefully you all got them. Lots of information there. So let's begin with you, Jennifer, if we can just go down one at a time and tell us. uh, I know uh, as a mother, uh, I certainly struggled with the whole diaper question uh, to use cloth or to use disposables. And in the end, it was really, environmentally speaking, a wash. But you've come up with something better. You don't have to present that dilemma to mothers today. I became a mom 15 years ago. There's greener options now. We're going to hear about one of them. Um, yeah, so I'm not uh, at the stage where I'm talking a lot about the specific details of the diaper. but um, oh, Come on, give us the poop. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was pregnant, I actually developed a what some people might call an obsession with diapers and trying to make the best decision about diapers. I don't know why I fixated on that, but I did. And so by the time my daughter was three months old, I knew more than anyone really should about diapers. I'd read all the life cycle analyses in detail. I'm a researcher, so it appealed to me on that level. And when she was about 10 months old, after trying every kind of diaper I could imagine and different combinations and thinking about the problem, I... um, had her on the changing table one day, and uh, that was sort of the light bulb moment. And I put a few different things together, and that was my first prototype. Great. Ellen? Well, I'm not sure where to start. I guess um, I started a company back in 1986 named Sunsteam, and we installed some solar concentrating technology in a metal plating plant in Hayward, hoping that we were going to help solve the then energy crisis. Unfortunately, the price of oil went from 35 to $15 a barrel, and by 1991, when we closed Sunsteam down, it was down to $12 a barrel, and there were no tax credits. So um, we closed the company down, and I swore that uh, we would just keep the technology in mothballs until such time as concerns about the environment and the price of energy were back up again. So I just said I wasn't going to start this company back up until en- Oil was at $100 a barrel. Well, (laughs) that occurred last year for a little while. It's back down again, but I don't think it's going to stay there. But um, I've been sitting, waiting 
to reintroduce my technology to the world for about 17 years. So this is oh, <laughs> just a wonderful opportunity for me. That Thank reminds you. me of my friends in the solar industry. They say, yes, it's been a 30-year overnight success story. <laughs> <laughs> and then along came this uh, economic downturn, and it looked like after finally getting our moment in the sun, we environmentalists, all of a sudden the attention is taken elsewhere. But there is a green lining in the dark cloud. We'll talk about that next. Well, I'm a ceramic artist with a scientific background, and I also have a long history. Mm-hmm. I started my company 22 years ago, Fire Clay Tile, making high-quality handmade custom tiles. But I'm a recycler at heart, and so even back 20 years ago, I was recycling like brewer's yeast from Anheuser-Busch uh, Brewery in my tiles and trying all kinds of things. And a few years ago, I developed Bottle Stone, which is based on 80% waste glass. This is glass that's, when bottles are picked up curbside and crushed, these are waste particles that come out of that process that can't be used to make bottles again. So it's a waste glass from recycling. And uh, just because of my 20 years plus work with ceramics and different recycled materials, I came up with bottle stone. Great. So... My name is Fraser Murison-Smith. The company is ElectroDrive. The evolution of our company has uh, gone both sides of the cleantech open. We have changed our thinking on what the company is and what the product is uh, during the course of going through the cleantech open. So actually, it was a kind of, it's kind of a testament to really how great the cleantech open is in the sense that it challenges all of your assumptions about what you want to do with your company. And we've come out the other end with something we're really excited about which is a way to enable vehicle electrification to be plug-and-play in, in the sense that you would plug-and-play peripherals into your computer. And uh, we're very excited about this, as you can imagine, because, of course, it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and I came into it because a few years ago, you may remember some of those little Think City electric cars tooling around the city, little two-seater ones with the recycled uh, plastic bottle uh, body shells. And when CARB changed its rulings on the, on the zero-emission vehicles, all of the major automakers dropped these programs like a lead balloon, and they had to prize my think car out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> That's really how it felt. And so when, when, when time came around to, to, to start ElectroDrive, it was just right around the time that uh, GM was releasing the Volt, and, and we were thinking, well, boy, you know, I mean, if they think that they can do this serial hybrid thing with new cars, why don't we just do it with some of the 800 million existing cars already on the road? So that's really what, what, what inspired us to, to start the company. Uh, I'm Donnie Foster from Power Assure, and Power Assure removes energy out of data centers. And uh, if I rewind about 30 years ago, I started at HP in the mainframe environment and big mainframes with Joanne in the room here. Uh, We used lots of mainframes. They ran at 80% utilization and uh, were pretty energy efficient. Then came mainframes and servers. And I bet some of you in this room probably use the Internet, right? But you don't use it all the time. And what happens is data centers are built to run at maximum power. And when you're not on and using it, it still runs at maximum power, just about, about 80% of that. And what we found is that we can modulate that, and we saw such a waste of energy, 50, 60, 70% energy waste in data centers because of both the uh, environmentals, meaning the air conditioning, as well as the server use. And our software fixes that, and we are committed to make that happen. Thank you. I am too involved in this earth, and uh, every time I look uh, in the summer, uh, there's a blackout. It's in the summer and it's on the hottest days. And I think there must be a way to mitigate that, uh, thought of a way to reduce the energy consumption of air conditioners by 20% on average and 30 on hot days. Uh, that would originally be just a peak load mitigation so that nobody would have any blackouts. Uh, but then the look at the Americans alone spends $30 billion a year for air conditioning operations. Uh, equivalently, if you look at 10 cents electricity per kilowatt, uh, that would be like uh, 20 pounds of electricity for every dollar we spend. Um, so 20 pounds of uh, CO2 for every dollar we spend. Uh, 
Sorry, I didn't have enough uh, wine today. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that's a big amount of uh, CO2 reduction if we can uh, save 20% of that $30 billion. Uh, people said, you know, particularly this was done during the 2000, 2001. California got a lot of uh, blackouts. Uh, somebody made the comments that uh, I am the very few that, that uh, spin off uh, okay after the Enron fiasco. Thank you. for. They actually kept it two, three minutes. That's the first, I think. So since you were all so punctual, I'd like to do the same thing going down the panel um, and ask you uh, to name your, your, the, what you're most proud of in terms of your venture and uh, maybe the biggest mistake. And all mistakes, of course, uh, get us where we need to go. So uh, learning, the biggest learning from your experience so far and, and how our audience might benefit from your experiences as ecopreneurs extraordinaire. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, the thing I'm most proud of is, uh, is my product. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about it, and it's the thing that I'm having the most fun with now is testing it and watching it sort of come to life on live little beings. Um, <laughs> the biggest challenge uh, for me is a somewhat personal one. I um, entered this out of being a stay-at-home mother, so there's the, the constant juggling act of, of other priorities and working lots and not uh, getting paid and paying a lot for somebody else to do my other job. Um, but the other challenge is really working alone and um, kind of continuing to keep going day after day after day when no one's setting deadlines, although the, the CCTO was great for that, um, or um, pushing me. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting personal challenge and... Um, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it, it's definitely challenging. Ellen? Well, I think our biggest success at Focal Point is that we've been able to take the technology that I developed about uh, 17 years ago and double the size of it. So we've gone from a trough that was originally uh, 24 feet long to a trough now that's 40 feet long that's roof-mountable. And uh, that, that is quite an accomplishment to do. Um, I think the biggest mistake that I made was trying to think that I could do this on my own. And uh, uh, one of the wonderful things that's come out of the Clean Tech Open is uh, I now have a team of four full-time people and uh, five or six other people that work as consultants, either for stock or for a small uh, a fee. But it's, it's just been wonderful to watch and be able to share, you know, with the creative juices that are going on within the company now. It, so. it takes a village to change the world. We can't do it alone. And what I'm most proud of is really the aesthetics of the bottle stone. It's a, it's a beautiful product. It's been really well accepted by top architects and designers around the country. Uh, and equally, in that I'm proud that it's made out of true waste stuff, that in this green building category, there's a lot of p people call greenwashing where everybody tries to appear, you know, this or that, and they use their own waste that they're making over here to put over here, and they call it, well, that's recycled materials and things. But what I'm proud is that it's, it's all from local waste in the Bay Area and made here, and, and yet it's, it's a beautiful product. Uh, my biggest mistake was thinking that things would kind of go quick, more quickly, I think. Uh, so even with somewhat of an established business and what I think is a great product, getting the, you know, the certain investment money and things is uh, quite a long process. And so I thought I would be maybe in some ways further ahead than I am now, but you know, everything has its own time. Yeah, thank you. I would say that the thing that I'm most proud of is our technology, but as I think about it, I, really what I'm most taken aback by is how many people have come to ElectroDrive with such uh, talent and, and, and vision and energy to help move the project along. So, for example, right now we have a proof of concept conversion going on down in San Jose that uh, is employing several out-of-work Tesla Motors engineers, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> 
and and it 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 just I, I just uh, I, I think that that really is the the biggest validation of all that you know every week that goes by we have people coming out uh, saying you know we, we we'd like to help you do this or that. And if I could express a re- really, I guess, a regret rather than a, uh, a mistake necessarily, I, I think that I sort of think back to when I first had the idea for this, and I think, boy, you know, I, I really wasted that first eight months just kind of doodling around the edges on it, where if I had known then what I know now sort of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but on the other hand, I sort of looking at the bigger picture, I think, well, boy, you know, We've been, we started on this sort of in the middle of the first decade of the 21st century. I mean, to, to, to Alan's point, uh, we, we could have been doing this 20 years ago, you know, a lot of this stuff. And it's just that the, the market environment really wasn't there, there to support it. And, you know, those of us who've been thinking about the global planetary system for a long time and, and worrying about the scale of the human enterprise in relation to that, you know, it's, ta- it's taken a, a long time just to get to this point. And that's, that's like a lot of wasted energy, a lot of wasted CO2, a lot of wasted resources. And so we're really playing catch-up now. And, and I want to pick up from Fraser. You know, when, with PowerAssure, we have an excellent technology. It's software. It was focused on energy savings. But, in fact, uh, we put together a business plan that was focused on really a full sustainability process, meaning organization, the triple bottom line, people, profit, and planet. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. I got it to the CTO, and my mentors ripped it apart. And I say that because that was actually the most positive thing that could happen, is really taking a fresh look at it with experts. Uh, they really helped us clarify where we were going. They helped us further ver- validate and verify where we were. Uh, we won the sustainability prize as well as the smart power prize for PowerAssure because of the we basically are saving $85 per metric ton of carbon that we reduce. So it's a significant savings if you understand that that metric. And uh, I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud not only of that that piece but also the organizational piece and that we really thought about this from the ground up to make sure that it's a long-term sustainable business. So that's my, my biggest piece of... Uh, of uh, pleasantry in terms of the business. The biggest fault, I thought this would be easy. When I say easy, <laughs> it's a, the it's a classic <laughs> entrepreneur, and I still think it's going to win, but it's not easy. We picked large companies. The, the largest folks like Yahoo and Google and others are the biggest wasters of energy. And I said, let's go there first. It'll be the easy, easy win, easy reference, and go. Ain't so. <laughs> they, they are the biggest wasters, no, no, no doubt. And Google can argue. If anyone's here, I'll have that argument anytime. But uh, the fact is that even with that waste, they have their own set policies about how they do things. So we've, we've had a backup, go to smaller companies to, to start to build the references, with the exception of a small company called Facebook, who's our customer, and they like us and, and have uh, gone forward. So there you go. Uh, my... Priority thing is to have found a uh, great partner to commercialize this technology with. Greg Nugent is in the audience. And of course, the biggest challenge from the uh, six year in development and going into year seven for commercializations. Every night I have to ask my wife, honey, is it time to send me to the couch yet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm noticing a, a theme here and questions from the audience. Uh, I think I would like to know, certainly from each of you, when will your product actually be available on the market? Well, mine's on the market now. It's in a small way. Uh, and, and where and how? Tell it, us all it's about It's in San Jose, California, through Fire Clay Tile. And we're making pieces that are 30 inches by 48. Uh, when I get a new factory built with a larger kiln and things, they'll be 30 by 90 inches. So the product is... the. It's attractive and the quality is good, but it's it's limited in its size at the current time. Okay. And Power Assure is shipping. Uh, I'll take orders tonight. Uh, we can save you <laughs> fifty to eighty percent of your energy bill in any data center. Come on down. Our product is uh, in testing with uh, utility companies, and as you know, they are behemoth, and uh, it takes uh, thirty-six months to sign uh, this yay big. Uh, of papers, paperwork, to get it out. Uh, but uh, it has been tested and uh, by PG&E uh, 
we, we, it did show the energy saving that we claimed, and now we'll just go with reliability and all of the due diligence for the end consumers. But we should, would like to take orders too. <laughs> well, Focal Point Energy is uh, getting ready to test the second generation alpha prototype. Uh, that'll take place the end of this month. And uh, we've, we're planning to begin our first installation in early summer. Uh, unfortunately, we're still flying under the radar right now, and I'd rather not get into much of the details about that. Okay. We're also testing and refining our product as we test and testing with slightly larger groups of babies. Um, and as we test, we're refining our materials, and some of the materials have lengthy manufacturing times. So sort of not exactly sure and, and not exactly saying either. <laughs> uh, well, it's just Marketing between Officer. us, by the way. You can, you can tell us just here and whoever's listening on the radio. Uh, Chief Marketing Officer Ray Jenks in the front row here will take orders anytime. <laughs> and uh, what is being shipped by ElectroDrive really depends what we're talking about because we have uh, a little mock-up out on the table here of uh, an adjustable mounting frame which we call ElectroMount. And it turns out this past week we acquired our first customer for that. And we are in the process of developing really, I, sh I should say, a platform of technologies because if you can imagine... Ele turning a, a vehicle into an electric vehicle really involves a lot of touch points with, with the vehicle's control systems, its auxiliary systems, and its, its physical structure. So we're developing really a suite of technologies over the next 12 to 24 months, and we're going to be both selling them directly to system integrators, but we also intend to be uh, licensing the core IP to, to larger-scale companies. A specific question for you, Fraser, before we go on. Uh, a specific one from uh, someone who drives a Saturn. She wants to know, what is your target price for an individual to convert her 97 Saturn to electric power? 97 Saturn. <laughs> Four-door or two-door? <laughs> you do not want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're you off your rocker. <laughs> no. um, 97 Saturn. That, to start with, that's, that's a pretty efficient car. So now if you came to me and said a 97 Chevy Suburban, then I would say let's talk. Uh, 97 Saturn. So just to kind of paint a little picture of, of how we're planning to go to market here, our, our first customers are most likely to be fleets, so wholly owned fleets. That is fleet customers who have paid for all of their vehicles up front and are running them. <laughs> And you know, they have all of the economies of scope and scale that you can imagine. And then as the, the price of components and comes down, volume goes up, then we expect our solution to be driven into the consumer market. But the real price drivers, as far as electric drivers are concerned, are not our own core technologies. They are actually the motors and the batteries that we integrate into vehicles. So we're really sort of at the mercy of the overall evolution of, of, of the clean vehicle market in terms of uh, offering a price for a 97 Saturn that really makes sense for a 97 Saturn. Who have we not heard from on this question? Remind me. That was just the No, I know. Are we, we're skipping around, I think, whoever would like to talk about um, coming to market. Is that everybody? Yeah. Okay, sorry. All right, then we are at a crossroads right now. Um, as I mentioned, as you all know, it's been 30 years in, in the last iteration of the environmental movement. I don't know, are we on Environment 3.0 or what? Um, been waiting for, you know, our day, those of us who have been so terribly concerned and stay up, you know, late at night wondering when people are going to wake up and when the world's going to catch up. Uh, and it finally happened thanks to the triple hit perfect storm of Katrina, Wilma, Rita, remember those back-to-back -back hurricanes, and then, of course, our savior, Al Gore, and then the price of gas at the pumps, finally getting Americans to pay attention because it hit them in the pocketbook. Uh, and we were really starting to gather steam. And obviously, you are, again, uh, personal examples of that hope and in, in, in imagination and American ingenuity and innovation. And yet, then we had this economic downturn, so there's that crossroad. And then we have this president who does get it, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Um, it's such a pleasure to hear someone who talks about you know, energy as a real serious issue, every opportunity, and who gets climate change. So 
because we're at this crossroad, I'm just curious as to um, whoever of you would like to respond about, are you optimistic or pessimistic at this moment where there's this stimulus package now? Is there something in it for any of you in particular? And, and just overall, you know, going out from here, uh, it's just both, a lot of people are frightened because of the economy and you know, those of us who have been in the environmental world for so long, it's like, oh, well, we've been frightened a long time. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to be concerned about. Can this really be um, catalyst and cause for action? Or is the economic downturn going to, do you fear, uh, really wipe out a lot of the recent progress we've made in raising awareness about the urgency of our many ecological crises? Whoever would like to take a stab at that not-so-short I, I, question. I, I, actually, I would, I would love to okay. touch this. First of all, I read the stimulus package this weekend. You actually read it. So How long did it take? Pages, How long did it take? Pages, uh, three days. Oh. <laughs> it was a rainy weekend. It's now, a good week. Curl in, up with the in, stimulus in fact, package. In fact, that's not true. It took me three days of you have to read a little bit, try to understand what the hell they're saying, and then go forward. Could you give us the cliff notes? Yeah, sure. sure. So for me, it was interesting, and, I, and I'll, I'll answer the question two ways. One is that during the Clean Tech Open, uh, I was very optimistic, and anyone who heard me speak or the judges who did this said, oh, life is good, it's going to be great. I saw this economic downturn, turn, I said, oh, my God. And all the customers we were talking about said, come back and see us in a while. So the last quarter, the last quarter of 2008 was a bear. We literally lost accounts. People said, wait, we're not sure we want to do this. Uh, First quarter, uh, we have had more calls than in the last, we've been in business almost two years, than the last two years of people saying, oh, we kind of get this, we think you can save us money, come and see us. The stimulus bill, just as, as I cross this, $43 billion in energy efficiency, $23 billion of that is directed towards Power Assure. So I see $23 billion market just in the <laughs> stimulus bill. Think about that. So, and, and that's all about energy efficiency, quite honestly, and it, it applies to almost all of us. There are $4 billion in water projects. There's reclamation. There's retrofits. There's construction. There's uh, autos, uh, uh, transport, transit. There is solar. There's so much, and, and I'm really excited with the, the stimulus bill because it really touches all forms of clean tech in a even cl- uh, clean coal, believe it or not. I'm, so, so lots of inter- real, very interesting things, lots of money out there. How to get a hold of that is very interesting. If you take a look under the wire, the way that we go to it is not the Department of Energy, but actually to the Department of Defense. They've got more money almost than anyone anyway, as you know. Uh, and then in top, on top of that, they've been given over 3 to $4 billion just to play with. So it's basically in the stimulus bill, it says um, trials, trials, whatever that means. So golly, there, there's some stuff out there that really looks good. And I think we can really escalate that for me, for a customer. I can go back and say, look, go to a governmental environment or go with a government and let's do a quicker close for you to get something going and we'll get a rebate. And the utilities are getting that and so on. Quick story, long answer, sorry. Anybody else want to take a shot? I am a fan of National Geographic, and I, the way I see it is that uh, rain will return on the <laughs> African plains, but whether, uh, and life will prosper, so, but whether I will be a carcass along the way <laughs> or be part of the prosperity, that's, that remains to be seen in the next few months here. Well, I think the, the current economic conditions are slowing down a little bit of people's green uh, care. But the main thing is kind of similar to uh, what Don said about the smaller people. In my business, there aren't really any carrots for using recycled products. I mean, there's LEED-certified things. But I notice that most of the customers that we have, they're not really doing that LEED thing. They're just doing it because they know it's the right thing to do. And I, and I think that's such a powerful Force that, yeah, it may get dampened right now, but it's not going to go away. I spent the earlier part of my career in technology in lots of in a series of very rapidly growing companies, and so I think for me, what what this environment feels like is a is a change in pace from the sort of rapid, rapid, go, 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 grow as quickly and as fast as you can with as much money as possible. Now everybody's excited to sort of 
all right, how are we really going to do this? And how can we figure out how to sustain and do this sensibly? So for me, it almost feels like it goes along with the business to have to figure out how not to grow so quickly. Um, and it, it, interestingly, the eco-diaper category breaks into a number of segments that I'm sure you all don't want to hear about in detail right now, but um, most of them are growing pretty substantially, uh, or the largest one is growing really substantially because it has a significantly overall lower cost. So that's exciting for me. I'm curious about the name of your company, Over the Moon Diapers. Do you get it? You don't usually, yeah. I guess. <laughs> people either get it or they don't get it. <laughs> I think not enough people get it. But, you know, it's a start. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to the next question, which is about um, money. Can each of you speak to the funding that you receive since participating in the Clean Tech Open? And what's your sense of funding opportunities? We've touched on this for the next wave of clean tech um, companies, I guess that says, that participate in clean tech, and I should actually take this moment before you, while you're thinking about the answer to that, to remind our listeners out there in Radio Land that you are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California radio program. And this evening, we are hearing from the winners of the 2008 California Clean Tech Open. Again, congratulations to all of you for being recognized. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and these days there's a lot of ecopreneurs out there, but you each did something to deserve this kind of reward. And, and what exactly is the cash reward for your efforts? cash (laughs) well spent and you will spend it all in one place on your project right (laughs) and then there was an additional we estimate about 125 if you count the 50,000 in cash and then the total is about $125,000 in services and how much does that help about now Oh, it's just wonderful. It's everything from IT to marketing to PR to uh, legal. legal to, uh, like, for example, we were given a whole suite of software from Autodesk for every uh, AutoCAD and 3D, the whole thing, you know. I just got over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm the punster. <laughs> Very, <laughs> it's been a long day. Sorry. <laughs> It was a little over your head, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what they say when you become a mother, you lose, along with the, the fetal cells that come out, you lose some brain cells, and I guess over the, over the years there's a cumulative effect. <laughs> okay, who else would like to talk about what the cash infusion has meant to your efforts at this time? Well, for ElectroDrive, the cash has largely gone into this proof-of-concept conversion that we're in the middle of, but surprise, surprise, we need more money to finish it. So... Right now, the, the truck has its engine out, and, and we're going to put the electro mount in there, and then we're going to need to <clears throat> keep a little bit of cash on hand to put the big old V8 back in there in case we don't get any money to finish the project. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we, haven't had, we haven't had any other cash come in since in the last, what is it, three months or whatever it is since, uh, since the Cleantech opened, but we have had a lot of, I would say, I, I would say we're, we're getting really pretty close now. Uh, we have... We have a, a major municipality who is coming on board, uh, whose name I shall withhold for the time being. And w- they want to do a demonstration project with us, uh, three of their municipal vehicles. And we also have a customer on the East Coast for Electra Mount. And so we're, we're starting to, I think, see some revenue come in in the spring. And then, of course, we're also going out for, for capital, uh, for, for equity capital as well. And, and our, our new technological direction, I think, has, has really sort of uh, galvanized the interest of the investment community, which, which is good to hear, uh, given the economic climate we're all in. So we remain very optimistic, in fact, at the moment. Cash is very helpful for us to, to de- develop the, to actually commercialize the product that we will uh, put on one of the utility companies. And uh, it's not enough. <laughs> Please increase the price. Next year. <laughs> uh, but also, the most important thing is that the uh, publicity that we get, uh, intangible, but uh, very important uh, name recognition, uh, instant uh, acceptance, and credibility is helpful. 
Yeah, we're still trying to raise more investment money that we need, but by winning the clean tech open, it, it, it did open doors. So where our VC pitches were, eh, you know, people paid more attention to us. So it was very helpful, uh, I think, in the long term. And I just want to compliment the the, the CTO uh, really goes through all of those items. So the pitch, the presentation, the business plan, and the result of that is that you have a very sharp pitch that you've presented multiple times. And afterwards, we we not only got uh, meetings with uh, VCs, but also were able to use that pitching mechanism, and it's worked well. We happen to be at a seed fund level, so we're not looking for an A round yet, but we're in a seed round at this point in time and we're, we're getting investors who are angel type investors to look at our process we're still a little bit early and that will close in the next month month and a half and then we'll do an a round later in the year but all of this is going well because of both the traction as well as the process that we've gone through okay everyone take a Last shot one. yeah just in case there are investors in the uh, audience here <laughs> a round Need it. <laughs> Here's uh, some specific questions for our panelists. For Michael, uh, there are parts of the U.S. where glass is not recycled because it is too heavy to ship, and there is no local demand for recycled glass. Are you considering opening manufacturing facilities in other parts of the country? Yes, we've already looked at uh, the Midwest, really, Ohio or Pennsylvania. Uh, New York is also another option where there's, there's a lot of waste glass that, that's not being used. Uh, California, because of its bottle bill, we recycle almost 80% of the glass in the state, and m most of the U United States is only 10 or 15%. Is that true even right now with this devaluation in scrap material yes. across the recycling Yeah, it, it really saves energy. I, I mean, I started doing it. My regular tiles have about 20% recycled glass, and because it lowers the energy usage by about 30% by recycling glass instead of making virgin glass. Okay. And a question for Alan, uh, focal point. Do you anticipate your product uh, being designed for more large-scale generation? Um, right now we're focusing primarily in the industrial uh, area, industrial and commercial area, for hot water and steam. That represents about... Uh, an $18 billion market in the U.S. and about $100 billion market worldwide. And we think that's big enough for us for now. <laughs> okay. Uh, question for Donnie. How do you get in the door when you're trying to sell your software? Excellent question. Uh, and we Especially with a smaller ecological footprint. You need a bigger foot. Exactly. To get in the door. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's interesting because what we do is we actually work with facilities. We work with IT as well as the operations folks. And they all have their own silos. They all have their own perspectives. And it's a terribly political environment. There's a large chasm between the people who run facilities and the people who actually run IT. So we've had some serious issues in trying to figure out how to break into that market, to be honest with you. And guess what? There's these folks called sustainability geeks inside the organization. They're actually helping. Green so, geeks. So the, those green guys actually do provide some service. Got on. And, and so that's one way we also work with the COO and the CFO, and that's been the way that we've been able to get in and actually break a little bit of that barrier. And we help both of them. A I, I, little secret, we sell two boxes, two appliances that go in, same appliance, one's green, one's white, one's for IT, one's for facilities. They like the color, they like the thing, and it's theirs. And guess what? That's a, a simple way that we just make things happen. Marketing. Hmm. One of the questions is, the greenest car is the one I don't use, the greenest product is the one I don't buy, etc. How do you respond to that in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I have a response for that. The, the greenest entrepreneur is the one who doesn't exist. <laughs> do you all hear that? That's worth repeating. The greenest entrepreneur is the one who doesn't exist. <laughs> Let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> but there is, there is demand. I mean, we're not going to go without diapers. So well, that, let's no, just start with the simple. <laughs> Although there's, there is that movement. Have you heard about that? Yeah. <laughs> there is. There is, actually. Um, yeah. Movement. <laughs> Diapers. Um, yeah, I, I, there are, you know, I started out 
um, I, I have a product design background and, and a, kind of a long-standing childhood commune farm, uh, <laughs> hippie parents kind of um, sustainability in my blood. Um, so I thought you know, everybody would be making the most environmental choice when it came to diapers and was very surprised to find that I was the only person who seemed to care at all that I knew. And um, so so when I started designing the product, I, I really had very high standards for sustainability that initially just weren't possible because of cost. And um, interestingly, the first person I met with um, who reviewed my financials through the contest said to me... Um, you don't have sufficient planned obsolescence. And I thought, oh, huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and it is a problem in, in developing a, a financially sustainable model. So it, and it's also a problem in attracting a consumer, a broad enough consumer base. So there are compromises, and there are still huge, huge impacts to be made in making tremendous compromise. So, yeah, 450 billion diapers are thrown out in the world annually. And, yeah, that's a lot. And while we're on the topic of diapers, I'll just throw another question out there, and you can each respond to either the last one or this one. Have any of you done a cradle-to-cradle analysis of your products? Um, informally, yes. I mean, we were, we're sort of very much guided by cradle-to-cradle principles, and a, a lot of our uh, material design comes out of waste stream from other materials and that sort of thing. So, um, and it's at least that big parts of it are actually reusable, recyclable, um, and so it, it does have more of a closed loop than I ever thought would be possible. Um, C2C also did, uh, d- does have standards for diapers and a fair amount of information on diapers, so we think we compare... Um, actually much more favorably than their gold-rated product, which is one of our competitors. I think it's important to do the cradle-to-cradle to to know, but the execution of it is so difficult. Uh, I mean, my product lasts for hundreds of years, so hopefully it won't have to be redone uh, in a short period of time, but it's it's just the the economics of yeah okay so so we could grind up the bottle stone and add five percent back to the original mix and recycle that whole thing, but is somebody really going to bring us you know what's the energy involved in getting that piece back from Oakland to San Jose or you know what you know what are those people even going to remember or the house turn over three times so I think it's it's a it's a good idea to rate people you know with cradle to cradle but Look at the reality. You know, is this something that's really going to happen? And just saying that you're cradle to cradle, yeah, on paper you might be. But, you know, what are the real realities of the situation? I've always kind of been a little kind of scratching my head about this whole cradle to cradle thing. I'm a biologist by training. And I remember when I was in the middle of my Ph.D. program that my supervisor, who was Australian, said to me, it's better to have a rough answer to the right question than an accurate answer to the wrong one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I come out of ecological systems theory. So for me, it's a question of where do you draw the boundaries of the analysis? And as far as a business is concerned, I don't think you have to draw the boundaries of the, the analysis out too far. If you're trying to draw the boundaries of the analysis out too far, then it, you probably don't have a really compelling value proposition. Anyone else? Yeah, nearly 100% are recyclable. And uh, what is more, we can instantly bring the efficiency of air conditioners up quite a big notch nationwide because this is a retrofit system. Uh, Imagine if you have to yank out 60 million air conditioners and replace with better ones. You know, that's what we say. So... We, we couldn't do much of analysis because of what we have put it there rather than what we have taken out. So, so just a, this is actually, again, more marketing for all of you. Uh, as, as an entrepreneur, if you think about Cradle to Cradle and use that as part of your marketing program and you ask the customer on a Cradle to Cradle basis, 
I mean, I've been in, in front of some very big companies asking them how their, how their waste of energy is helping from a end-to-end -end perspective in terms of the buying of their servers, their use of their servers, their use of air conditioning, and so on. That analysis that we learned in C CTO and that full LCA that we went through was very useful for us to understand, and certainly for me. And the answer is we did it, uh, and we have specific numbers that we can show you in the business plan. The more interesting part is how that really affects us in terms of our go-to-market and what we talk to customers about. And I think that's just phenomenal. That it really enlightens us in terms of what we can we can sell and talk to with our customers. Okay, uh, question for Bottlestone: If all the waste glass particles produced every year were funneled to your company, what size of a company would you be? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we'd be bigger than the planet, I think. Really, I mean, <laughs> so it's what I learned with recycling many years ago. Uh, when I started doing a lot of this work is that the main thing is that you make a nice-looking product that people want to buy, that you're using a high content, but no one product is ever going to recycle everything. So really what we need is we, we need a system where all kinds of different things are made out of different recycled materials, so we use up the things. But when you, if you just try to say, okay, if I can't recycle 100%, of the waste out there that I'm not going to start, then we'll never get going. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, if Some of you have touched on this, but if anyone would love to just grab onto this question, what is the long-term vision? You just dreamt for a moment if uh, all the glass came to you, what would your company be like? Well, like a previous question, uh, we've really looked at seriously looked at places in Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York and even the United Kingdom, which has a lot of waste glass that they're not really using too well. So it's really, it would be small factories where you're using local waste products, making it there, and selling it uh, regionally. So to really do the whole sustainable thing of the planet and have multiple locations. I have this vision I've, every time I, I get in an airplane and I go to a large city, whether it's Los Angeles or Phoenix or Las Vegas or whatever it might be, and I'm landing and I see all of these buildings from the air as I come down and there's all these empty roofs, mm. and I see that's energy going to waste. A roof is a terrible thing to waste, as someone in the solar industry said once. I, I'm a big fan of Herman Daly. The Economist. Anyone know who he is? A few hands going up. That uh, that uh, price, the price of goods and services in the economy should reflect the resource throughput that goes into them. That I think is the answer right there. That's really all you need because, as we've seen six months ago, when gas was pushing up to five dollars a gallon, that's hitting people in their pocketbooks, and suddenly there's this big change happening. And if that, if that had been institutionalized in some way, then uh, you know, we'd be in a deeper economic downturn now, but it would be a more interesting one. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not interesting enough. <laughs> I, I just want 50% of the global diaper market. <laughs> How much competition is there out there in the diaper market now? A lot, a lot. Green diaper. Um, green diaper is a really hot category, um, so there's a lot of interest and, and, and a fair amount of competition, but uh, a lot of problems to be solved with the current entries, both on the sustainability and on the performance front. Go ahead. Anybody else? If not, I'll ask a question. Yeah, sure. go ahead, Toe. Okay. Uh, Twin, sorry. My dream, no more blackouts in America and uh, $120 billion pounds of uh, CO2 saving per year in America. Of course, you know, other parts of the world do, do use air conditioners too. And, and I just want to say data centers waste 38 billion megawatts a year. And if we use that productively, we would not have the issues of, that we do today. So that's what we're going to address. Go after Google first. I am. <laughs> Damn them. They can take it. They can take it. <laughs> okay. Um, what advice would you give to those wanting to compete in the clean tech open? 
And there's a corollary to that question. In these times of layoffs, are you hiring? (laughs) 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 So, so, So what was the first... Advice you would have to others uh, wanting to compete oh, in this you contest. Know, you know, right now is such a wonderful time. There's so many opportunities. Read the stimulus package. You sh- if you don't come up with a thousand ideas uh, in terms of starting new businesses, you're nuts. Uh, with that, we are hiring. We're looking for sales. Come on down. Uh, we're looking for some uh, engineering, VP of engineering. So I'd love to talk to you. I was a little skeptical about the Clean Tech Open, and we we jumped in sort of very much at the last minute uh, on the advice of of, of uh, Jim Robbins, who runs the environmental business cluster down in San Jose. And it was a really sort of transformative experience. So if any of you are, are out there thinking about starting any kind of clean tech company, then I would say go through the mill because it's basically... A, f- a few weeks of, of MBA training without having to go to grad school and, and incur <laughs> large large debt, and I think you get you know pretty much everything you need to just get out there and start raising money, whether it's from the government or from private equity. I would say persistent. It took me six years to develop the product, find a good partner. I have a good business partner, and enter clean tech open. <laughs> <laughs> Which of you would be interested in licensing your technology or product for venture in India? Yep. Or at least, <laughs> at least actively collaborating in India, with India. In discussion. In discussion, okay. Anyone else? Yes. Uh-huh. And, and I'm not sure why India and not China, but what about China? Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sky's the limit. It's a big world out there. Everyone uh, actually, diapers. if I could just add a few more words to that. Uh, so we have, there are 800, mil, 800 million vehicles on the road today around the world. And that number is projected to rise to about 2 billion by the middle of the century. And we all know that the vehicle market in the U.S. and Europe is pretty much mature. The, all, most of those new vehicles are going to be added in China and India. That's why we want to be there. We would also like to expand to India and China. But first, we would like to hire some uh, investors <laughs> that, that will make it possible. Okay, if I'm reading this question correctly, with PV solar, are we moving from foreign oil dependence to foreign PV dependence? Is that the question? I guess that would I go to our I'm renewable energy guy. I'm the one that should answer that, but I, I, I don't know enough about the current costs of PV to really give you an answer um, the only thing I can tell you is that there are so many brilliant minds focused on solving the PV problem that somebody's going to come up with a solution, and it's just going to happen. And, the, you know, you were asking about the stimulus package right now. There, there are so many things in that package, if you're in the solar business, that it's just incredible. It's, there must be half a dozen different things, and I'm not going to list them all. But um, it, it's, if you're in PV or solar thermal or whatever it might be right now, this is, this is a great time to be starting a business. And um, I'm not really afraid of the recession because uh, a lot of the businesses that we're looking at are going to need to use energy in some form or another, and that's not going to go away. So, Okay, uh, great question for Fraser. Uh, with ElectroDrive, uh, what will happen to removed engines, and I would add batteries, in this conversion process? Sorry, the question was what will happen to remove engines? As, 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 engine, as, oh. as these cars, these replacements, these conversions take place. What do you do with what's taken out of the car? Oh, they just go in the same, uh, the same landfill all the diapers go. No, <laughs> do they cancel each other out? <laughs> they, get, they get shipped off to Africa with all those used computers. Um, <laughs> no, what, what happens... Actually, there is a, there is a, there is a very healthy uh, reconditioned engine market. So we, we have looked into this a little bit. And... So in terms of converting existing vehicles, uh, typically what happens when you, when, you, when you put a new engine and transmission in, in your car, 
uh, the, the old one gets uh, reconditioned into, you know, if it's, if it's still in pretty good working order, it'll, it can be reconditioned and resold. So, you know, this is a big block, this big chunk of metal, so it is mostly recycled. Uh, there are some energy costs associated with that, of course, but, uh, you know, we're, we're not too worried about contributing to, uh, you know, humanity's impact on, on the planet in terms of wasted metal. Okay, uh, with this somewhat scatological thread we've uh, developed tonight, I'm not sure we're going to get on the radio, but if you are listening, you are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California radio program, and we are hearing from the winners of the 2008 California Clean Tech Open. Uh, That really is most of the questions, so if there's anything else that any of you would like to add that didn't perhaps come out in our um, grilling here, this is a chance. We have about uh, five or so minutes. Eight minutes. So maybe... Uh, just maybe how you've um, learned, not, not only what you've learned about your business, but how you've evolved as, a, as an American, as a citizen, as an environmentalist. And I don't even know how many of you had environmental backgrounds before you became these ecopreneurs, but that might be interesting to share. Did you have an eco-epiphany? Was there some awakening that you wanted to do something for the planet? Well, mine was really based more on just being practical and not wanting to throw away things and use things. So, you know, this is 20 years ago before green was, you know, the thing that it is today. But the so new black. It, it, it was just not being cheap exactly, but just, you know, being, you know, using stuff that's around. So uh, that's, that's how it developed for me. Yeah, I would say that um, throughout the course of, of developing a business plan and starting the business, I've become more pragmatic um, and and perhaps lowered my expectations of consumer behavior to not be like my own. Um, but yeah, I think for me, a, a lot of it just started with there's this, this thing that we're all doing with our children that just doesn't make any sense. We take this highly engineered garment and throw it away after 15 minutes and that just didn't make any sense to me. There's, there, there's far better ways to do that. Surely, some I, of you have some I great have, stories. Yeah, I, if, if I take a look at what happened at the Clean Tech Open, uh, we were given a, a set of categories. I was in Smart Power, and they gave, as part of the um, contest, uh, a special section called Sustainability. And my first reaction was, I'm focused on Smart Power, don't care. So it was pretty simple. Um, then I had a, an evening to read it, and I said, oh, those are good questions. And we met with the sustainability folks, a group of about four or five women, I'm not quite sure, uh, who grilled the heck out of me. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about the LCA? And then I met uh, one of my mentors, Ed, who's in the room, uh, who uh, asked some very basic questions as well, because I was trying to figure this out. That took me through a whole series of weeks of really struggling to say, I thought I had a good business plan organizational-wise, but I don't know crap about this sustainability stuff. We had a sustainability kit, Cradle to Cradle. I encourage you to read the book if you haven't. We had a whole bunch of series of discussions. These women that, that we, I met in the uh, mentoring session became available. They said, well, we're really not supposed to give you much time, but... They were wonderful. I was calling them night, day, calling Ed night and day. Thank you, Ed. Uh, uh, and those, those just helped me in such a great way come up with a complete plan and really help articulate how we could go forward. And, and I got to tell you, that was the best part of CTO from my perspective. I know Katie uh, got mad at me because she said, you're not promoting the sustainability win. That's what I did. And, and so that was a big deal after, after that. It's on the website now. Uh, but that, that, was a, that was my epiphany of this, and a big one. I mean, I'm a green convert you now. Won. <laughs> and I won. <laughs> okay, well, I just got several good questions after I announced that we were having to wrap up. So I think the panelists will stick around for a few minutes afterwards if you'd like to uh, approach them. And uh, I want to thank each and every one of you. And again, congratulate you, Mazel Tov, as I would say. Something to be proud of. And each of you go forth and greenify our world. And I want to encourage everybody here in the audience tonight and also out there to uh, use your eco-imaginations. I'm not plugging G. Just, uh, you know, we all, we're all needed in this journey, and um, it's up to each of us. We each contribute to the problem. We can all be the solution. As I say on 
on the green front, we've seen the enemy and the enemy is us, but that means we can address it. We're the ones. It's up to each of us. And uh, this is a good, a good step forward. So thank you to uh, our panelists, our audience, and also out there in the radio. I'm Betsy Rosenberg, and now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, celebrating more than a century of enlightened discussion, is adjourned. <laughs> <laughs> I made a mess.